It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero radio show, recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and syndicated throughout Australia on the Community Radio Network and also podcast on the internet, either at bze.org.au or 3cr.org.au and also through whatever podcasting app you favour. And don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at, with the symbol at bzetechtech show. My name's Michael Steindl, and I'm joined with my co-host here, Kay Wenigal, panelling. How are you, Kay? Good, thanks, Mike. Good. Today we've got Trent Hawkins from NHAR. NHAR are sustainable energy consultants with services encompassing renewable energy, energy auditing and sustainability grant funding assistance. NHAR partners with companies to research, design and implement their sustainable energy and efficiency plans and projects whilst constantly also researching new grant opportunities. Trent was the project director of the recently published Zero Carbon Australia Buildings Plan from the the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, BZE, Beyond Zero Emissions. The report is a groundbreaking new pathway for Australia's existing buildings to respond to the challenges of climate change, dependence on fossil fuels and to rising energy prices. Trent was a research director with BZE over three years, including playing a role in senior management of the organisation. He was a contributing author to the Banksia award-winning Zero Carbon Australia Stationary Energy Plan as well. Trent's a mechanical engineer with a background in renewable energy and computational modelling. Before joining BZE in 2011, Trent worked in wind energy, undertaking wind farm feasibility studies and wind monitoring and analysis with NHAR. Following his role at BZE, Trent rejoined the NHAR team. Trent has expertise in renewable generation technologies, energy efficiency technologies, electricity tariffs and market regulation, and zero emissions strategy in both built environment and energy generation. So, Trent, <laughs> we've hardly left any time for you. Welcome, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Thank you. Trent, um, your early career focus was in computational modelling for biomedical research. And you started a PhD in this field. However, I understand as the severity of climate change and the urgency to act became more apparent to you, you decided to shift the focus into sustainable energy and tackling climate change. Sounds like a big decision. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, I think at the time I was quite involved in uh, the climate movement in Perth and campaigning on a range of issues in the streets and um, just didn't seem to line up with the work I was doing or looking to do in medical research and engineering and um, I think in 2005 the um, the STEM review came out and that sort of shifted all thinking um, and uh, I decided to tackle the issue of climate change and sustainability. Well done. So let's start talking about our topic today. With a lack of real commitment in reducing greenhouse emissions at a federal level, Many communities want to get on with the idea of addressing climate change. This is where the real action is. Community actions see and ex- communities see and experience the impacts of climate change, as do many councils, 
and have the power to press ahead with climate solutions and not be constrained by the national government of climate sceptics. Councils and communities also show leadership, learning by doing, undertaking activities that are replicable and scalable in regions across Australia. So there are many places that are now doing that. I understand Lismore, um, Urala, Byron Bay, Victorian towns of Yakandanda and Newstead are looking at similar ambitions and a group of councils in western New South Wales that want to cooperate with big solar <coughs> developments. The Sunshine Coast Council is going ahead with its 15 megawatt solar plant. We have the City of Sydney and City of Melbourne both having policies on being carbon neutral. And I think the South Australian government has also announced a plan for Adelaide. So let's get on to Urala. Mm-hmm. And it may be the first zero net energy town in Australia. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, certainly um, probably setting that goal um, and it might take a little while for it to get there. Um, I was um, fortunate enough to work with the Moreland Energy Foundation to do the technical modelling for the Zero Net Energy Town project, um, which undertook an, a base a business case for the town of Urala to begin with. Um, but that was I- the idea was to actually develop a blueprint that could be utilised by other towns. So the investigation was, can a town uh, meet all of its energy needs on an annual basis from renewable energy, both locally and through purchasing power, maybe it's green power or other mechanisms? Um, and we found that, you know, uh, undertaking a few very uh, simple, um, uh, sensible approaches with energy efficiency first and then looking at rooftop solar made the job a lot easier for the, the larger um, renewables to come in and meet the remainder. So this, this was a tender supervised by Moreland Energy Foundation, funded by whom? So the New South Wales government contributed funding um, to to do the study and that was managed by Starfish Initiative, which is based in Armidale, New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And the, the yeah, then there was an expression of interest process which selected Urala as the town to investigate mm-hmm. doing, the, doing, the, doing the study. And you were then how were the technical consultants to mm-hmm. Moreland to do this? Yeah, that's right. So we, we went to the town um, for a week, uh, investigated a range of aspects and... Um, we're able to uh, gather some really good information and, and do some analysis on the, the loads and the, um, the types of equipment and appliances in the, in the town, the major energy users and the, and the opportunities for renewable energy. So when you talk about energy efficiency, are you talking about on a commercial and industrial scale rather than residential? Um, uh, we were we were mainly looking at it's it's small town it's next not far from Armadale which has got a un- large university population um, so a lot of the a lot of the industry in Urala is sort of you know f- relating to the, the the University of New England um, and there's a bit of agriculture in the area so the industry is pretty small there's some large um, metalwork manufacturing um, but again relative to housing it's primarily residential. And one of the interesting things we found was there's this very significant amount of wood heating because it gets down to minus 10 in winter. And, you know, we found that they would stoke their fires on Anzac Day weekend and keep it going until uh, November um, <laughs> continuously just so that they could keep their, their premises warm. So there's not a lot of draft proofing that's been done or standard insulation. It's just reliant, dependent on large amounts of hardwood, firewood. And we've, there's a reasonable amount of depletion of um, the native uh, vegetation in that area. Mm, yeah, I can well imagine that. Mm. 
Um, in terms of the the project length, how is that all going to work out? Is it? Uh, I think um, I must admit I can't remember the exact uh, sort of timeframes we set, but basically it's sort of looking at a ten year horizon for the town, and and really and and you know um, you know Meffel did the great work trying to um, sort of find a way that 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 we could actually get going forward um, so that the you know a lot of the bigger more challenging aspects can hold off until maybe you know they've got some runs on the board and there's a, a more favorable environment but you know led street lighting for example like essential energy is doing a range of led street light replacements so i was looking at is that a possible first step that can be undertaken doing a trial with heat pump hot water systems was another thing we really wanted to do because they use a lot of lpg gas and electric storage hot water systems that are very inefficient and we thought that utilizing high efficiency sand and or other um, co2 heat pumps would actually work even though it's quite um, cold temperatures mm-hmm. what about wind they got a lot of wind up there? Uh, well, there is some interest in wind in the area. Um, there's a few areas where probably to the north and the south southeast that are more favourable. It's a thousand kilometres, a thousand metres above sea level. It's on the sort of um, the sort of plains of New South Wales, and um, the, whilst it might seem to have a good resource. It's not at that level where it's a straightforward conclusion, but Embark, we're able to, I think Starfish Initiative and Embark have got a sonar wind um, monitoring device and they're just taking it around different sites in New South Wales and it includes around that area to investigate the possibility of a wind farm. And there's been a long-standing um, project to have a New England wind um, community wind farm in, in the area. In, in reading about this, I see there's an organisation called ZNet set up. Can you explain what that is? Um, well, basically, you can go to the website, z-net, z-net.org.au, um, and that's kind of a collection of all the materials. So it's really great because um, we were able to build um, a really useful Excel spreadsheet um, that anyone can use to, to apply this to their town. Um, and you can get that straight off the website um, and other materials around um, like postcards, which are which is sort of a graphic way of illustrating different measures that could be undertaken and the you know, ways of representing load profiles and things like that. So it's really just a, 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 a point to, to go and gather that, that information for other towns. Okay. And um, speaking of other towns... There are other towns that are interested in doing this sort of thing, aren't there, including in Victoria? I think you know, Yakandandra and Newstead? Yeah. Um, that, in- look, um, I'm not that much up to speed with where where Newstead's at, for example, though they, they, they're probably in a process of trying to engage with the distributor and have a further um, understanding of their willingness to participate. And I'm not sort of really 100% across the Yakandanda situation. We did do some subsequent work for the Alpine, Shire, Alpine Shire, um, who were interested in looking at a similar um, a, a similar approach. So we used the, the same model as the as the Urala ZNet project. Mm, okay. So the state government's contributed $100,000 to this project so far. Is there any other funding strategy in place? Um, I, my understanding is that there is a, an intention from the New South Wales government to continue to support the project and, and actually the support from the New South Wales government is really great um, and they were also in that same sort of 
process of funding this project. They put some money into the community retailer project in um, the Northern Rivers area of New South Wales. So, um, you know, I, I have reason, I would imagine that there's that that's a continued interest there from the government. Mm. Which is wonderful to see. Mm. Are you seeing that in other state governments? Well, we're seeing um, a shift here in Victoria thanks to the new government and um, maybe we'll talk a bit later about the New Energy Jobs Fund, but that's an opportunity where community organisations, are, able, including local government, are able to actually get funding for similar feasibility studies into going 100% renewable energy. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens when come, I guess, June this year when those successful projects are announced, how many of them have kind of in that space. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show and we're talking with Trent Hawkins from INHA. We're discussing projects around Australia where towns have, been, have made the decision to become carbon neutral and or become energy self-sufficient. So there are a lot of towns around the country as we've already identified and there's a survey or a few surveys that have shown 75 to 80% of people want renewable energy. That's in country towns as well as in the cities. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Mm. That's a massive push, mm. pent-up demand. Mm. Are you finding that in your work? Yeah, look, when, um, apart from the, the regions where the anti-wind lobbies come in and just, you know, confused everyone and um, sown um, lies about um, renewable energy, we find that there's generally broad-scale support for the technology, um, for renewable energy in general, and... You know, I remember a few years ago going to Kalgoorlie and doing a launch in Western Australia of the stationary energy plan and the appetite there was just really, really, really incredible. Um, and we've actually been working with the Kalgoorlie Council at NHA to, to, to investigate uh, a, a renewable energy option for the for local council as well. Um, so it's pretty broad scale, you know, everywhere, even in large mining towns, there's a pretty significant appetite to go, go right. renewables. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's amazing. Mm. I suppose perhaps more so now, given the state of the mining industry. Um, I think it's partly driven by, and it's the same thing in every every country town, wanting to have longevity, and it's the same thing here in Latrobe, Latrobe Valley. The community understands that the coal industry has only got a short-term life, and what they're concerned and interested in is having a just transition that's planned that the workers in the energy industry know that they and their families will have a future in that industry in the Latrobe Valley, and it's not all going to shift to... Um, somewhere else far away and they're stuck doing, um, you know, less exciting jobs. Yeah, very good point. Mm. Yeah. So, Trent, what is the difference between Urala and Byron Bay, for instance, because Byron Bay is also trying to achieve a similar sort of thing, mm. model for renewable energy? Yeah, look, my understanding is that um, the, the Byron Bay Council and, the, and a group of um, concerned individuals, I guess, in Byron, you know, uh, come across the Beyond Zero Emissions work and and really felt like that's that's kind of um, that's doing the whole hog. So they said, well, can we actually achieve zero emissions Byron um, and and adopt and implement some of the aspects of the Beyond Zero Emissions um, Zero Carbon Australia plans? So they want to do it across all spectrums. Um, so zero net energy towns, importantly, really just the operational day to day energy consumption of that town. Um, Byron's looking at livestock emissions, other um, land use emissions. It's looking at transportation, um, you know, the full range industrial processes, embodied emissions, for example. Mm. So that's a fundamental difference. The Urella project we're talking about is just the energy, total renewable energy. 
but Byron's talking about all of their emissions. Mm. And it's not to try and sort of pitch one against the other and say that one's better than the other. I think they're all ambitious plans and Byron one is particularly ambitious, but really it's just um, there's there's a level of desire and excitement in the community there to actually have a go. Mm. And Byron Council has always been like that, or the Byron community mm. has always been focused on that sort of thing anyway. So in terms of other country towns, you, it's got to be economically feasible, doesn't it? So you have to mm. perhaps start off with a more um, concrete model. Yeah, so I guess, well, I mean, I'm doing some, some work currently for um, uh, Beyond Zero just to help guide guide that the, the process that they're involved in because, you know, just drawing from some of the work I've done in the the, um, the the buildings plan and that's really just to sort of start somewhere but because they're pr- predominantly a tourist in- driven industry well the town is predominantly tourist based it's it's probably a good place to start and where those um, sustainability initiatives will be part of a broader you know appeal to people who come to the town mm. well that leads me to another question that um, usually isn't focused on what about architectural styling and changes? Is Byron looking at anything like that? I look. I'm not. I'm not probably the best person to talk about northern New South Wales architecture, but I do think that you know when you sort of get into that area, there is a bit more awareness about the ability to offset air conditioning, for example, by utilising cool breezes off the ocean um, and good orientation. Um, so having good fenestration to allow airflow ventilation through a space, you know, adequate, appropriate insulation. So, you know, it's, it's both cool in summer, but warm in winter rather than just, you know, gaps in everything. Um, so having the ability to close off that, those, the, 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 the air vents and, and things like that is also really useful. Um, and there's plenty of work being done in that area. Um, I guess what, you know, coming back to Rala, one thing that we found was a bit sort of astonishing was that um, this is a place which gets down to minus 10 in winter, that the same building designs that are being used for the coastal region of the northern New South Wales are being used in inland northern New South Wales in fundamentally different climates. So there's probably not that sort of understanding of climate-appropriate design across the whole region, but um, perhaps in Byron it's, 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 it's okay. Mm. Well, I certainly think that... Um that's a good point that you've made because the architectural and building styles just don't seem to have been addressed in a lot of these projects mm. at all. I mean, I know that it's a much longer-term um, ch- opportunity, but uh, it's still something that many many architects struggle with as far as I can see. Mm. I, I would just add the point that um, it, that aside, though, um, we probably don't need to be building as many new buildings as we have in the past. And so really the, the challenge now is to improve the existing building stock and that's where the retrofitting comes into the picture. Okay, so you were talking before about the um, new Energy Jobs Fund. Can you fill us in a bit more about that? Yeah, look, that's probably something that's taken up a bit of my time lately is um, assisting with a number of um, uh, community organisations and local government in, um, in submitting um, applications to the New Energy Jobs Fund. This is really, you know, the, the, first, the first step for the Victorian government to demonstrate that they are uh, pro-renewables and, and we're all waiting a week, uh, eagerly for um, a Victorian renewable energy target to be, to be put out there as well. So really love to see ambition on that level as well. But basically there's $20 million fund um, over the course of three rounds and a couple of years to both help industry to um, 
implement measures that are commercially available but could benefit from some government support and also for community organisations to do the same and to do business case studies. So um, up to $100,000 worth of funding available to community organisations to, to fund uh, a feasibility study, which could be in very, very much similar sorts of projects such as 100% renewable energy studies or looking at setting up a, a maybe a community solar farm. There's a range of things that, that, are, that are part of that. So would... Um uh, communities such as Newstead and Yakandanda be part of that? Would they get that sort of funding? Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of communities looking to submit. My expectation is there'll be quite a number of applications, at least over 100. So the work will be cut out for the government to sort of sift through that and the independent panel of experts assessing those projects. But, yeah, we're very confident that, um, you know, there's really good opportunity there for, for anyone that wants to do some studies. Um, we're currently one project we're currently working on is um, with the, with the union that's looking to um, develop an energy retail cooperative as a sort of really innovative different approach. Wow. It sounds exciting. Are you able to tell us any more? Obviously not the union, but yeah, look, um, basically it's just an, it's a different approach. I think that it's really you know great that we've seen new entrants into the market such as power shop in the retail space, mm. um, but they're still really aiming at that that a model of um, a very individualistic model, which is, you know, how I, 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 my house is really efficient. I shouldn't have to pay too much for my power. How do I have cheap renewable energy? Which is fair, but how what the energy retail cooperative is able to target is how we drive the social benefit of cooperative members participating and helping to do the energy efficiency work. So, you know, right, it becoming the collective interest of the members of the retailer to help reduce energy consumption and to purchase renewable energy as well through power purchasing agreements. What sort of timeline are you hoping for with this, Trent? Um, well, it depends on, you know, obviously, we'd love to get funded and it depends um, when when that comes through, but you know it's something that we'd like to see the business case feasibility study for kind of wrapped up by the end of the year. And Victoria in general, we've um, in two thousand nine, I think we had about four point eight percent renewables. In two thousand and fourteen, I think that was up to twelve percent. I don't have off the top of my head a figure for two thousand and fifteen. Do you? <laughs> have we gone anywhere, or are we suffering the um, the stasis due to the Bailey government? Um, look, I'm not going to pretend to know those numbers because I, you know, my head's across different things. But yeah. you know what I've so you on the spot? no, that's okay. What I've seen pretty pretty consistently, and I think other people would agree with this, is that whilst there are lots of so currently the the large generation certificate price for the renewable energy target is above eighty dollars a megawatt hour, which is just you know like double what it was um, mm. nine months ago. And so basically... Is because of the, the stasis caused by Bailey that the projects haven't come online, existing prices have gone up? Well, what that was driven by was the bipartisanship agreement from the federal government. However, and the delay that that caused, which created a, oh, yeah. a, sort of a sort of vacuum in the pipeline. But the reason why that amazing financial incentive hasn't led to, you know, dozens of new projects being announced is that there's there's no appetite from large retailers such as AGL or Origin to buy power through a power purchasing agreement because as soon as that happens, their coal-fired power stations they own will have to shut down. So, so they have an interest in maintaining their coal and gas assets to mm. produce power into the market so they don't want to have to buy any more renewables because they know that they will displace them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I'm going to talk about that just at the end to a current campaign. 
When you talked about um, the Victorian government having these new, new initiatives, I think it's in the first quarter that they're releasing all their, their policies, isn't it, this year? Um, well, but we are certainly, I think that um, some groups um, are kind of eagerly waiting to hear about um, the Victorian Renewable Energy Target um, and also to hear about the, the sort of outcome of the, I guess, the desired or would be great to have a, a confirmed ban on unconventional gas in Victoria. Um, it's also, I understand, an energy efficiency and productivity statement will be released in June and there will be some corresponding funding that will come from that. And there's been a little bit of talk about having a residential efficiency scorecard. So for existing homes to have a framework in which they can be scored um, so that when the next leased or sold, that there's an idea of how, how they perform. Oh, okay. And the um, federal government, um, in, comparison, in comparing to the um, Victorian government new energy jobs fund that you were just talking about, mm. the federal government has just released some new funding for... Minerals or mining research, hasn't it? Can you talk about how they compare? Yeah, um, oh, Christopher Pine, you know, this, you know, put out an announcement for a, a you know new new energy innovation centre, um, you know, to help in, help innovation in coal, gas, and uranium. Um, you know, you sort of bat your eyelids and think that that's something from the the nineteenth century, and uh, not you know, not one word is is read of renewables in that seventeen million dollars worth of funding. <laughs> Yeah, our um, second best minister. <laughs> <laughs> Trent, we're out of time now, so thank you very much for joining us today and explaining all those projects. Mm. It's been very enlightening. My pleasure. Where can our listeners find out more about NHA? They can go to our website, nhar.com.au. Great. Thanks, Trent. You've been Th- listening to the uh, Beyond Zero Emissions show. And we have been talking with Trent Hawkins from NHA been discussing projects around Australia where towns have made a decision to become carbon neutral and, and or energy sufficient and we self-sufficient sorry and also the new energy jobs fund if you're um, listening to this within a week of it being produced um, there is a big campaign happening in Victoria um, to tell Premier Dan it's time to build the renewable energy strength in Victoria and replace Hazelwood the basically the dirtiest power station in the western world and right it actually has been for a long time. As an engineer in the 1980s, I was working for the SEC and they were going to close down the plant then. That's a long yeah, time. so as Trent said, there is a real issue here in that those people are basically trying to, those owners are, are trying to milk us for a bribe to shut down. We want the state government to take strong action and there's a variety of ways uh, of doing that, including a recent proposal for a tender for the um, lowest price to shut down and that's funded by the other power stations in proportion to their emissions, which seems a very fair way of doing it to me. In support of this action, though, uh, primary sources, if you go to Environment Victoria, they're uh, running this campaign, but also uh, Climate Action Moreland is making a very active campaign with eight public performances, demonstrations. The first one, Friday, as in right now in a week's time, Friday, March the 4th, they're going to be uh, meeting at the corner of Nicholson and Park Streets, North Fitzroy. Um, so go to and presenting to Jane Garrett, the Minister for Energy. So go to them or um, Environment Victoria. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Mike. And thanks to all the listeners. And hopefully we'll talk to you next week. And don't forget our sister show every Monday afternoon at 5.30. It's not a product. It's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing 
demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to 